This is an ABC podcast. Okay, from little things, big things grow, right? From seeds, plants, from embryos, us, and from the Big Bang. Well, a whole entire almighty, expansive and ever-expanding universe. But have you ever contemplated what came before the Big Bang? I mean, there must have been something, surely. How does something come from nothing? Zero. Zilch. It's Natasha Mitchell here. This is Science Friction, joined this week by the cosmologically curious poet, broadcaster and writer, the wonderful Alicia Sometimes, who, like me, has been contemplating the poetics and physics of before. How do we even contemplate the beginning of the universe? Scientists, philosophers and poets have, for millennia, asked this question. It's not an easy ask. There's strong consensus the universe began in a hot, dense state, a big bang around 13.8 billion years ago. The early universe would look much different than it does now. No stars or galaxies, only a hot bed of particles, protons, neutrons and electrons, before it began to cool. Then the first inkling of hydrogen, then helium, all the way to you sitting at the traffic lights listening to this. I've missed a few billion steps, but what about before? Before the Milky Way, before atoms, before the universe started expanding, before time as we know it began, a time before. Can we ever really know this? Anytime I think about these questions or how large the universe is, I don't know about you, but I begin to feel overwhelmed and I step outside to look at the moon. I'm in my backyard with my Jack Russell scooter beside me. This is what I've done so many times with the first sliver of Earth's satellite peeking through the clouds. I take a deep breath in and I think of my mortality the future of humans, and of course, the past. There are just so many questions on all the possibilities on the beginning of the universe. We'd need an eternity of shows just to cover it. Scientists have many incredible theories on the origins of the universe, but there is no definite answer yet. American theoretical physicist and Nobel laureate Steven Weinberg wrote, The effort to understand the universe is one of the very few things which lifts human life a little above the level of farce and gives it some of the grace of tragedy. Someone who looks at the structures and evolution of our universe is Will Kinney, a cosmologist and professor in the Department of Physics at the University at Buffalo, the State University of New York. His recent book is called An Infinity of Worlds, Cosmic Inflation and the Beginning of the Universe. And I ask how he began to look into before. One thing that was very influential on me when I was a a high school student was I read Steven Weinberg's book, The First Three Minutes, 
which was a beautiful piece on cosmology as it was understood at the time. The book was written in the 1970s about when the first atoms came into being, which was when the universe was between one second and three minutes old. And this book had a, a huge influence on me and really got me interested in cosmology. I'd been interested in astronomy and astrophysics, and I was an amateur astronomer when I was a kid. It really makes me sad that my book didn't come out until about a year after he died because I would have really wanted him to see it because it was something that was very much inspired by his writing and, and in a lot of ways an attempt to emulate it. After reading the first three minutes, Will was inspired to become a scientist and delve into the deep mysteries of the universe. And when I was younger, this book was one of the reasons I wanted to become a poet. After reading it, I wrote about those moments straight after the Big Bang. There was an expansion simultaneously everywhere. Not at zero second, but close. After the first picosecond, hotter than the hottest star, white blue hot, a nursery of brooding hot, tempestuous bright. A Norse myth says, Earth had not been, nor heaven above, but a yawning gap and grass nowhere. There were no Vikings, no lampshades, no vanilla ice cream or deep pools of lava, but there was Lego, Lego for life. And from those early moments, there were many critical stages Epochs of change where all space, energy and time were created. These scales of time are mind-bending and these scales of space are mind-melting. The universe is 13.8 billion years old, but it is around 93 billion light-years across. So the observable universe is larger than the age of the universe. It had a rapid acceleration very early on, faster than the speed of light. And what's called cosmic inflation, or just inflation, is one theory scientists have to explain this expansion. Inflation is a theory for what happens essentially before the Big Bang, replacing that singular point of infinite density with the end of an earlier epoch in which the universe was, in fact, not hot and dense at all, but it was completely cold and empty and expanding exponentially quickly. Scientists don't know what happened to ignite this inflationary process. But from the moments of cosmic inflation, before the Big Bang, all points within this space expanded faster than the speed of light, everywhere all at once. But is there any direct evidence of inflation remaining in the universe? Because the universe is expanding exponentially quickly, any traces of these very early initial conditions, what set inflation itself off, are completely erased, exponentially so, many, 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 many orders of magnitude. And so really there's nothing left of them. There is no relic of the pre-inflationary universe there at all. It, it wipes all of it out which is sort of a weird circumstance because you can ask, okay, so where did this period of expansion before the Big Bang come from? But it's by its nature almost impossible to answer the question because of this fact that it removes any trace of the initial conditions, any, any trace of the physics of how it started. 
There's no physical trace of cosmic inflation itself, but scientists believe it happened for many reasons, especially because it solves some perplexing mysteries. For example, why the universe appears to be geometrically flat. Again, that's a whole other show. And why the temperature is surprisingly uniform across the deepest far reaches of space. The earliest time we do have direct evidence for is thousands of years after the Big Bang, and that's through the cosmic microwave background, the radiation left behind from that time. We can't see it with our naked eye, but it's everywhere in the universe as a remnant, a trace, and rich in information. The significance of this is that it really gives us a picture. We can directly see light that was emitted 380,000 years after the Big Bang. And so we can actually directly test the conditions in the extremely early universe. One of the things that you see in the cosmic microwave background is the signatures of the little fluctuations in regions that are denser than their surroundings or a little less dense that later collapse to form all the structure in the universe, galaxies and clusters of galaxies and so on. And so this is an important clue as to what the initial conditions for the universe were because we can see this very early time when the universe was very young and very simple. So for a cosmologist like me, that's an extremely important thing to study. And in fact, we've been observing it with exquisite precision in the last 20 years using satellite measurements. How incredible that we've been able to study something so far away. And one of the new sets of instruments peering back towards the early universe is NASA's James Webb Space Telescope. It's been finding early young galaxies And it's not only giving us breathtaking images, but also vital information. The Webb telescope is an infrared telescope that actually can see back far enough out in space and far enough back in time, not all the way to the early times of the cosmic microwave background, a little later than that, but it will begin to probe the first epochs, the first stars and the first galaxies began to form. So a little bit later than the cosmic microwave background, but much earlier than we've been able to see, for example, with the Hubble Space Telescope. And that will give us clues, for example, as to the composition of the universe, the nature of dark matter, the evolution of galaxies, lots of these more astrophysical questions uh, that cosmologists are interested in. It's really, it's a transformative instrument, and it's going to be amazing to see what it produces. Scientists think the telescope will uncover more knowledge about the cosmic dawn when stars formed for the first time around 250 to 350 million years after the beginning of the universe. And in turn, that might give us some clues about what came before. How we tell ourselves the bleak expanse of nothingness is something. Observe, calibrating the past, Spatial increments, lambent assemblies of branched history, bold telescope in halo orbit, L2 Lagrange point, waiting for clarity in staring cold, its primary eyes scanning, 18 hexagonal mirror segments, gold-plated beryllium, scouring distant galactic light, Deep field, nebula, more than just a sparkle on a poster. The way we keep searching, things larger than new space. 
We are immensely small. Honeycombs surveying long wavelength, visible light through to mid-infrared, anticipating the mumblings of first stars, how life begins, formations of planets. During alignment process, self-reflection, precision composure, resplendent focus. Discovering where we have been, where we will be, a sharp lens on our universe. Physicists understand a lot about how the universe works. But before the first fractions of a second of its existence, the science just doesn't make sense. The physics of the very small and the physics of the very big are at odds with each other here. Einstein's theory of general relativity accounts for the world of the big, how planets move, how GPS works, what gravity is. And quantum mechanics explains the very small, how subatomic particles behave, how the sun keeps burning, electromagnetism, nuclear forces. Some have searched for a theory of everything to connect the two in various ways. A quantum theory of gravity, for example. String theory is one idea. And could that help us understand what came before the Big Bang? Problem is we don't have that theory yet. Things like string theory or loop quantum gravity are attempts at constructing such theories, but we don't have a complete understanding of it. And lacking that complete understanding means that we lack an essential tool that we would need to understand the very earliest initial conditions of the universe. And this is one reason why this is so interesting is because these relics from the early universe that we see today might give us a clue on how this ultimate theory merging gravitation and quantum mechanics together might work. Concepts like loop quantum gravity or string theory might blow your mind. But put simply, among other things, they're mathematical attempts to understand how gravity behaves at infinitesimally small scales. They may provide answers or not. When I ask some friends how they think the universe might have begun, they say understandable things like, I've never really thought about what came before. Or, why does there have to be a start? And, hasn't it always been there? Once you start thinking about the notion of a universe beginning from seemingly nothing and just existing, it can contort our brains. Many scientific theories and creation myths from all around the world have tried to answer these questions. And here's another twist in the story of what came before. What if we are not the only universe? It could be that ours is just one member of a much grander, much larger multitude of universes, a multiverse. The multiverse is, in this sense, there are a number of different kinds of them. In the case of inflation, in this early exponential expansion, this cold, empty universe that was expanding exponentially quickly, it turns out that when you work the math through on this, that this expansion, this inflationary universe that precedes the hot Big Bang, actually goes on infinitely and only ends and results in universes that look like ours in locally in little bubbles. 
And in between those bubbles, the universe is still expanding exponentially quickly. Once you get it started, it only ends in little local places, but globally keeps going on forever. And when you work out the consequences of the theory, you find that it doesn't just generate one universe that looks like ours. It generates an infinite number of them, like bubbles in a glass of beer moving forward. And each one of those little bubbles contains an infinite universe like our own. And so we are just one of many, many of these little bubble universes that are continuously being created in this background inflationary expansion, which really changes your picture of what the beginning of the universe even really means, right? Because we're just one of many. If we are indeed just one of an infinity of worlds, that means we're not really special. No, and this is... This is the great Copernican idea. This was the revolutionary idea that Nicholas Copernicus came up with that really undermined this sort of theological picture of the universe as being all pointed at humanity, right? This idea from Thomas Aquinas that the universe was God-ordained and man-centered. My book is titled An Infinity of Worlds, and that comes from a quote from Giordano Bruno who wrote that God is infinite, so his universe must be too. He is glorified not in one, but in countless suns, not in a single earth, a single world, but in a thousand thousand, I say in an infinity of worlds. And Copernicus's idea of an infinity of worlds is in some sense realized in this modern concept of the inflationary multiverse and that there's an infinity of universes continuously being created out of emptiness, out of nothing itself. The multiverse is something that is often depicted in science fiction, in literature and movies from Marvel's Doctor Strange or Source Code, or even sliding doors as parallel universes. This comes from physicist Hugh Everett's PhD thesis in the 1950s that became known as the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics. To absolutely oversimplify it, the universe could split into multiple realities branches, and therefore possibly multiple universes. So there lies a possibility that you and I could exist in another universe, one where you make a decision to buy a cup of coffee, and in another you decide to buy a cup of tea. The cat both alive and dead, and would go on with every decision almost ad infinitum. But the multiverse idea that could explain the beginning of the universe is not like that. These universes are really physical regions of space that are physically separated from one another and cut off from each other by what are called horizons. An example of a horizon that maybe your listeners will be familiar with is a black hole. The inside of a black hole is a region that you can't escape from. And so that surface at the outside of the black hole that marks that point of no return is by physicists called a horizon. Universes have horizons too, much like the horizons of black holes. And we're separated from the rest of these other universes by these horizons, these points of no return that you can't travel beyond for fundamental reasons and gravity. Is your predominant thinking that there has to be a multiverse? Maybe. The problem is that you can't tell. Right? You're in this very strange gray area between something that is science and something that is not science in the sense that you have a theory that you can test, like inflation. It makes lots of very specific predictions about what we should see in the universe. And we can go out and look and see if the real universe matches those predictions. And in fact, it does quite well. But then if you look at the consequences of this theory, it predicts this crazy wild proliferation of infinities of universes out there that are separated from us 
by horizons such that we can never travel from one to the other, even in principle. And so at that point, you really say, well, there's just no way that you can do, there's no conceivable test you could do that would reveal the existence or non-existence of such a thing. At that point, you start to move beyond the boundary of what you can really call science and move into more of a philosophical picture. And it's an interesting problem for a scientist to have, to have a theory that predicts something you can never test. So if you thought working out what came before the birth of our universe is a challenge, well, there might be endless other universes with origin stories we don't know yet either. And besides the theory of cosmic inflation we've discussed, there are other theories for how our own universe might have begun. One of the uh, most widely studied among these is these bouncing universes that, for example, physicists like Paul Steinhardt have championed for a number of years. And the idea there that instead of the Big Bang starting at the end of this period of exponential expansion like it does in inflation, that the universe prior to the Big Bang actually collapsed and re-expanded again. This has a number of difficulties. For example, you can't do this without modifying Einstein's theory of relativity. It doesn't work in general relativity. In inflation, even in the inflationary cosmos, right, in this period of exponential expansion, creating this infinite multiverse before the Big Bang in all of these different pocket universes that we live in, you can show mathematically there's a theorem that says that even inflation must have had a beginning, that inflation can't be extended infinitely far into the past. Inflation, expansion, universes that bounce, universes that have a beginning and those without multiverses or not, the sublime and the even sublimer. We are in this wonderful cosmos at this particular time and space, and we get to ponder the genesis of our past. How amazing is that? I always loved what cosmologist and science communicator Carl Sagan wrote about the way humans can look back at themselves. We have examined the universe in space and have seen that we live on a mote of dust circling a humdrum star in the remotest corner of an obscure galaxy. And if we are a speck in the immensity of space, we also occupy an instant in the expanse of ages. I'm so grateful to Will Kinney for speaking with me and to all those incredible scientists I have read and reread for opening up a world to a wild universe and allowing me to ask the impossible question, what came before? We may not know in our lifetimes, but I have a feeling one day we might just find out. All things are relative. Imagine a time before nuclear power, a time before industry, before libraries, before language, when we were governed by instinct, where we lived by sound and rawness, when we feared storms, when we revered nature, when we lived by cycles, a time of survival, when we couldn't find a lodestar, when we knew not how to name it, before the neocortex, the limbic system, in the early days of the R-complex, before we could taste and smell, when we were single cells, before sex was invented, before rock was formed, before planets cooled, before matter, a time 
before time. We bond together in star stuff. We are the star's descendants. With sitcoms, war, particle accelerators, physics problems, pimples before a date, politics, famine, cause and effect, surfing, cryogenics, gene manipulation, buildings, backgammon, phone calls, parents, empathy, music, postcards, and the pursuit of meaning. As Carl Sagan so aptly put it, these are just a few of the things hydrogen atoms do given 15 billion years of evolution. And and just as she's been contemplating the beginning of the universe, poet Alicia sometimes has also been thinking about what might happen at the end of the universe. Yeah, I know, why waste our time... uh, fiddling with the small questions, right? Listen out for a later episode about that on Science Friction. And you can catch more of Alicia's work on the Science Friction website where you'll also find our whole back catalogue of Science Friction podcasts or head over to the ABC Listen app. You can talk to me on Twitter at Natasha Mitchell. I'll catch you next time. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.